Mm-mm-mm. It is good to be back with you on the On to Something podcast. I am recording to you very late tonight after a very long but good and meaningful day of work. Glad you're here as well. By the way, my name's Zane Witcher. If it was anyone else, I'd be worried at this point. If you've never been in this space before of On to Something, let me introduce you. This is where I voice and bring on other voices to talk about what we're on to in life, to help you find what you are on to with God, relationships, and what you want to contribute to the world. Now, for today's contribution, unless you've been underground in a bunker somewhere, which if you have, I have a lot of conversations about your life and a couple of questions, you are probably familiar with the conversation we're having in America in regards to race and the racism that still exists today. And I want to talk about it in a small podcast today. Because till about five years ago, this did not ping on my radar, but through some experiences and some relationships and also uh, just some realizing of the world. I've come to find that this is a very relevant conversation. Recently as a pastor as well, who's navigated the 2020, 21 that is, I feel the loss of how lacking we are when it comes to teaching justice as spiritual formation. And what I mean by justice is justice just means how we live out loving our neighbor practically and especially our neighbor who we don't share commonalities with as much as we may think today i want to talk about your journey maybe through sharing my journey and there's a lot of great voices out there to listen to with this conversation so i would encourage you that if you're brand new to the conversation about race, this probably isn't the podcast for you. Or if you find yourself not tracking with the conversation about race and racism that exists and what God could be doing with it, I would recommend some voices that I'll share with you at the end of the podcast to also check out. And today I just want to hone in on the question that I have asked in the past, and I believe we continually ask if we're showing up to ask what God is doing in racial reconciliation. And it's this question. What do I do about it? So if you're ever the person who has thought, I get it, I see it, but what more can I do than just recognizing or maybe posting about it? And this is where I'm going to invite you to look a little bit into some of my processing. It's a journey as Albert Tate really framed it well for me when I took his master class. Racism is underneath and discipled into us in these small micro ways every day. So the long haul of being a disciple of Jesus is to disciple it out of us. Let me share how that journey first started.
You know, in my experience, it's hard to tell what will actually throw a person into the reality that racism exists today. It's almost like getting a splinter. Mean people and honestly white people can be rubbing their hands across the same piece of wood a thousand times, never thinking twice about it. And they don't notice something until it finally clicks. And when it clicks, the pain is lodged into us. We hear something, we learn something, we experience something. And once it grabs our attention, it won't let us go. And the question that lies there once we start to feel that pain or discomfort, which is the title of this episode, is what do I do about racism? What can I do as one person about racism? How do you hold on to something that is holding on to you? How do you move beyond just thinking differently, recognizing history, or talking in circles about it? That's what brings us to today. I've been walking through my own journey of discipling racism out of my heart. And I've learned that each of those questions I just asked usually has the question of Jesus underneath it. Are you ready to follow me? Following Jesus means living into images given to us by Jesus. I mean, think about this. Images are powerful. They can be harmful. If anyone has ever walked through pornography before, they know how images can be harmful and damaging. But images are also healing. Jesus gives us healing images. And in this podcast, I'd like to offer you an image that's brought me healing. An image that I myself have stepped into as God's begun the healing process in me in order for me to join with others the healing process he's bringing to so many right now. In the beginning of my journey, I thought really healing would just be figuring out what this problem is and not being a part of it. But now I've kind of understand that it is a lack of posture that we need to be actually to see the complexity of problems that still keeps racism alive. I want to invite you to walk with me through my journey as I've walked through this image, where I feel like I've let the light of Christ break into the crevices of my heart, and maybe just maybe it may shine some light on things for you as well. Now, the image I want to bring us to is one that begins to restore the image of God for one individual person. Now, this image is found in the Bible. It's often titled by the notorious title, The Woman Caught in Adultery. And it begins with a few people that are just trying to catch Jesus in his words. And there's one part of the story I want you to hone in on. But here's the basic gist. These men bring a woman before Jesus and ask him to affirm a tradition of punishment in response to an action of hers. The punishment? Stoning. And although stoning seems very archaic to us or almost like unimaginable, it would have been commonly accepted in their day due to the law, and also it's still accepted in a few parts of the world. 
Stoning has this unique element about it, though, if you stare at it hard enough, because it's not the easiest or the quickest way to punish a person by death. It's unique because it's communal. It's an act a whole community participates in, but it also is a hideous act that no one takes full ownership of the result. And what's interesting to me is Jesus' response. He doesn't ignore it, dodge it. He doesn't even launch into a five-part Twitter thread critiquing the reaction. No, to Jesus, there's a much simpler step that tells you all the rest of the steps. Jesus doesn't speak about that as much as he speaks to the crowd. He prompts them as a community to think individually about their own life and how their actions are inconsistent. And after each person reflects on their life, they, as the text says, one by one drop the stones and they walk in a different direction. Now, this image brings healing because I believe it can be a picture of what God's activity is in the world and what is drawing out the sin of racism that exists in it. It's not a process of yelling. It's a process of healing. It's an image of what God can do for people who are caught up in a crowd that aren't treating some people as the image bearers of God. Now, I want you to hear me. This image doesn't necessarily translate if our focus stays on the woman. Now, in this context of the story, she's a minority that is pulled out because of her actions. And racism in our day pulls people of color out to front and center, not because of any action on their end, but because of their mere existence. And this is where I want to be very clear that the story does not parallel. To be black, Asian, Native American, or any other race is not a sin or a problem. The problem is with the sin of our history that's still creating problems for people of color that's bruising them, hurting them, and yes, even killing them. Now, recognizing that caveat and that disclaimer, I'd like to turn our direction to the secondary picture given in the story. Our attention, God's healing work, is actually found through how Jesus does crowd control. His interactions speak volume to God's interaction in the world. Lest I remind you, crowds are powerful. They're powerful because people will do communally what they'll never do individually. Crowds are powerful because they form our moral conscience, whether we intentionally know it or not. Crowds are powerful because they're dangerous. Just ask Jesus. Depending on where you flip to his story, he's either being protected by a crowd killed by one. And the powerful work of Jesus is how he gets this crowd to no longer think like a crowd. Are you seeing it? He asks a crowd of people to pause and reflect, not as a crowd, but individuals. Crowds make it easy to groupthink. Think like a left-wing crowd. Think like a right-wing crowd. Jesus, on the other hand, empowers us not to even submit to the crowd mentality. Jesus is powerful because he can show anyone in a crowd that the real stones that we hold are our hearts. And when our hearts are hardened, it has the ability to hurt others and even kill them. 
This is where I want to invite you to climb into the image and look around with me. I'm in the crowd. Crowds aren't just crowds. Crowds are communities. I'm living and breathing in a crowd as we speak. I've actually inherited several crowds. Along my journey, I've kept some of them, and I've walked away from some of them. And since I'm white, I've also inevitably inherited a crowd that has given me a way of seeing and interacting with the world. And I stand in a lineage of people who stood in a crowd before me, who believed it was okay to own another person or remove someone from their home to create their own home. And before I try to distance myself from how uncomfortable I am with that, I remember that even if it was 500 years ago, it's not like everything was fixed and there was no longer any damage just because a policy or a view of something changed. It takes more than rules to change the way of the heart. Time doesn't always heal. And when I close my eyes, and I clench my fist, and I listen to the crowd, I hear many people in several of the crowds I stand with say that racism is a thing of the past. There's nothing else to be done. To accept this reality is honestly to continue the shrapnel of the rocks that have been thrown before me. I look and I see people that I know. People that I've always looked to, that I've trusted. And they still say the same thing. But when I look at Jesus, which the first thing I notice, Jesus, my Savior, who is a man of color, I hear something different. As I read the scriptures of many who were written by people of color, writing these precious words, I'm unsettled with the individual defense of being, I'm not a part of this. I look at other crowds of those who hurt and mourn and tell me that something is still wrong. And Jesus says they're the most precious people out of all the people. And whatever God finds precious, I want to move towards, even if I don't feel like I understand. And if voices of color today are still saying that there's rocks and hurts and death, doesn't that mean I need to look around and check what's in my hand? Now, as I've continued to keep thinking, as Jesus has asked me to reflect on this, which I believe Jesus does ask all of us to reflect on this, to really meet what Revelation paints at the very end of all people, of all race and all nations together. Throughout my process, I found the work of a writer by the last name of Tisby, who wrote a book recently, How to Fight Racism, to be extremely helpful in helping me clearly hear what I need to reflect on. 
He's helped me drop the rocks that I never knew I was even holding in my life. Many authors to me kind of seem like they give you breadcrumbs of what to practically do, but Tisby gives you the whole loaf in this book. And the three lanes he gives us to think about, which I've walked down, has been awareness, relationships, and commitments. These are the biblical handlebars in evaluating what we've inherited, where we're at, and what may be a different direction that God's calling us to. And Jesus and I have sat in these lanes. And trust me, they have not been fun conversations. (laughs) Awareness. Am I conscientious of what it looks like for other people of color to walk into the same room? The rooms that I don't think twice about. Am I aware of my race and my history and also how that affects other people? Relationships. Do I care about what my friends of color care about even when I feel like or think that it doesn't have anything to do with me? Which, by the way, it usually does have something to do with me. That's the real hard part. Commitments. Am I committed to repairing the world with God since I confess that generations before me have damaged the world? What makes me think that there's nothing to repair if there's been things damaged before? These questions have revealed more than I thought I could know. The truth is is that I need Jesus to clean the dust of the stones off my hands. I need Jesus to point out how I've asked my friends of color to hold stones of the past that I didn't even think about. And I've even become convicted of the ways that some of my money and energy sharpen rocks that other people still throw. Crowds make great concerts, but they never make great saviors. As a matter of fact, they killed our savior. And the extinction of racism Yes, needs you individually, but is going to take a collective and entire community to actually make it extinct. Organizations and ways of life don't just change with individuals, but they can start with individuals. This is individual and it's communal. And if you're a follower of the way, and trust me, I'm not talking about the Mandalorian way, but I would understand why you're confused. Then I encourage you, you have to evaluate your ways. We shouldn't be satisfied that the finish line of this journey is, I'm not racist. That's not the end. That's the beginning. It's the beginning of asking what we have inherited. What are our crowds doing? And how can we join what God is already doing amongst the people who have very different experiences than us? This is the work of loving God and loving others. It's the work of not following the crowd. Friends, I ask you, figure out the rocks. Figure out your crowds. It's crucial work. And if we don't, I want to leave you with the words of Albert Tate, who spoke about the weight of his relationships with people who aren't black and what it's like to be in relationship with them. He said this, if you cannot, listen closely, if you cannot see my burden, you will unintentionally become a part of my burden. Can you see the burden? 
Because if you can't see the burden, you may just become the burden. Jesus, help us not to become the burden, but to cast ourselves before you. I want to hold a moment of silence for that episode. There's a couple voices that contributed to some of these thoughts, and I referenced them. And know that I'm just a beggar telling other beggars where there are food. So if you go to the blog, you'll see a transcript of this podcast and also notes of people. And if I can just note, if you're looking for helpful tips of where to go from here, what you can do about racism, I cannot recommend highly enough the work that Tisby does with his book, How to Fight Racism. So thanks for staying with us. Thanks for listening to a part of my journey. Care, my spouse is with me on this late night. Uh, this has been a, it's been a heavy episode. Care, give us something, give us something a little f- light. Give us an update on life. What's something fun that's happening right now? I'd love to share. So, uh, yeah, we actually are reading through Annie F. Downs's book. That sounds fun. I think I mentioned it on a previous podcast episode. But part of Annie's challenge to her readers is to reference that part of life when you were a child and how you spent like your Saturday afternoons, right? Mm-hmm. And so in some in some of my journey and kind of digging around in my heart and life, I remembered all these times when I was a girl and I would just dance. And and that's how I spent those times. Now, we're not talking formal dancing, right? We're not talking like any kind of salsa structure. Yeah, no, no, not not any kind of um, classes, just like in my living room, music blasting and me just having a party. I can see that. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely who I was. And so I am revisiting that part of myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's been, well, today was the kind of the first day that I really dove into it. But um, anyway, it's super fun. I am now starting to do like a Zumba dance workout thing uh, at home. Tell them the theme. Oh, yeah. So the girl that I started following um, who teaches these classes online. She does all kinds of different music and playlists and setups. And anyway, it's wonderful. It has everything from Hamilton music to The Greatest Showman to High School Musical to like just 2000s and pop. And it's right up my alley. You were, it doing, is... you were doing Rihanna this morning, right? I was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did the 2000s yeah, list. Yeah, you found so. yourself for sure. Yeah, highly recommend. So to those of y'all who haven't heard of Annie's book or maybe need to find a little fun in life, uh, this might be a great way is just to think back and consider what you did as a kid in the afternoons. So that's my, that's my update. Cool. Well, uh, I guess going from here, the best thing that you can, <laughs> I forgot my cue y'all. Uh, the best thing that you can do from here is to subscribe to the podcast, uh, give it a listen and share it with friends. And then also visit us on Instagram mm-hmm. at onto something podcast and comment, like, follow, all the things. And what, love to hear what from were you. you saying about if someone liked the post 50 times, you would you would post a video of you dancing oh, on Zumba? Was uh, that right? You know. Oh, was it, was it 55? <laughs> it was 55 likes, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I can go with that. Okay. 55 likes and we'll post 
Carolina doing one of her Zumba routines. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry in advance, but, you know, it'll be fun. Not true. <laughs> Not true. See you, friends. Bye.